here's something that Jared Ellis said last night, and I thought it was very interesting, very relevant to where we're going uh, today. And he said, he leads a church in uh, California, and he was one of our main speakers, and he said, uh, we say at our church, you're standing in the sacrifice of other people. And it was really interesting. I kind of thought, what is he, you know, what is he, where's he going with that? But he said, the chairs you're sitting in, somebody else had to pay for. The spiritual atmosphere we're enjoying in this room, somebody has paid a price. You know, we, we meet Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, and there's a good crew of people now showing up at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, just praying, pressing in, and asking God, do something mighty in our midst. And, and, and we owe a lot of the spiritual atmosphere we experience in worship to the people that are willing to press in and pray. How I many you know that's true? And we owe a generation that we don't even know. We never even, some of us in the room have never even met the people that were so central to the prayers that went up in this place before this church ever owned even any of this land. This church used to be in a little building down the street, and, uh, and Sister Russell used to come walk this property and claim it for Jesus. And one day we're going to have this building, and now we have 100,000 square foot of facility, 700 students in our school, and a conference that happened this past weekend. You know what happened? God handed those things into uh, hungry hearts that said, we're going to leave a legacy that will really express the expansion of God's kingdom in the earth long after we have been here and we go on to heaven. How many of you know that's part of our, part of our responsibility now to the next generation? We amen. And so we're standing in the sacrifice of others and we're providing sacrificially that which other people will come and will stand in in days ahead. And I believe it's important that we understand God really does want to financially activate our lives. God wants to financially activate us. And that's what we're talking about in this season of time. So let me just ask, any control freaks in the house? Any control freaks? Some of you just immediately. How many of you know a control freak, right? If you're sitting next to one and they know you're talking about them, then they're eyeballing you, trying to control you to keep you from raising your hand up, right? Uh, control freak. What does that really look like in our lives? And, uh, you know, some of us feel like we need to be more in control than others. And, and that's kind of where I want to go today and talk to you about the, t- the title, the, the phrase that I want you to notice in the title on your, or your handout, Broken People in the Hands of a Loving God. What does it mean to be a broken person, completely available to God, in the hands of a loving God? Um, It's risky. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's risky. You know, I've shared the story of this guy. It was really, it's forever etched in my brain because I can kind of relate to the fact of what he was doing and nobody really knew. But he was on an airplane and he was going on an international flight, flying through JFK. They have a really nice lounge. He had like a five-hour layover before his international flight would leave. And he had these two first-class upgrade tickets in his pocket, and you could use those two. You could use one of those to upgrade and fly first class, or you could take both of those and submit them with the airlines he was with, and and have access into the lounge for his five-hour layover. It's a very long layover, and he's sitting there, and this lady comes through, and she walks through the first class, and and she sees a friend of hers, and they're talking, and they finally tell her she has to come sit down. She sits down by the guy, and and he's looking and realizing, and they're waving, and 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 she pushes the button, and the attendant comes back, and she says, "I listen, an old high school friend of mine is in." first class, and, and there's a seat right by her. Would it be possible that I could just go and, and sit by her today? And, and the flight attendant, I'm, I'm sorry, the first class, uh, we're not able to move you uh, without, you know, a, a substantial charge. And so, okay, well, thank you. And they go on. And so he's sitting there, and he hears this, and he has these two upgrades in his pocket, knowing I could give her an upgrade, but if I do, I can't go to the lounge. And I mean, you know, when God gets involved in your business, 
it might cost you going to the lounge. And that's kind of what was going on. He, he felt those things flapping in his pocket, just thinking, I don't want to give that up. And the Lord said, give, the, give her your... And he said, I don't want to do... I mean, do you know the gospel is not about you pretending you're something you're not? It's about you submitting to who he truly is. And so he's sitting there thinking, I'm not that nice. I'm not that generous. I'm not that loving. I'm not that caring. But God's asking me to do it. That's Christianity. I mean, you just have to understand God's constantly transforming us to become more like him. But none of us are yet like him. So what we have to learn to do is be broken people in the hands of a loving God. And so finally he gives in. How many of you didn't want to give in times, but you finally gave in? And he hands the ticket over to her. And he didn't even have a great attitude. He just handed the ticket. He said, look, give this to the flight attendant. She'll take you up. And the two people sitting behind her were flying standby. They were flight attendants as well. And so they knew the value of what he just placed in her hand. She had no idea. So she pushes the button. And, and there's no small conversation going on back here. And so he realizes, and they're talking. And so he, he just turns around. And he says, would you like for me to share why I just gave her that? And they said, well, yeah, that's pretty pricey. I'd like to know why you did that. You don't even know each other. And, and he said, the Lord made me do it. He's nicer than I am. That's what he told him. And so the lady's sitting there, and she's holding the thing, and she's looking at him, and she said, excuse me? And he said, well, I'm a Christian, and God apparently cares about you enough to put it on my heart to give you that. And so I didn't want to, and I told him no, but he told me that I needed to do it. So I don't know what you got going on with God, but he's trying to have a conversation that he cares about you. Flight attendant comes up and says, yes, ma'am. And, uh, and she's holding this first-class upgrade, and she says, uh, she pushed the button. She goes, never mind. She hands it back. The guy gets the leader to Christ on the airplane that day, and she came to know the loving nature of God through his willingness to be a broken person in the hands of a loving Savior. I, I, there's probably not a better explanation I can give you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Religion tried to mess that up. Jesus never hung out with good people. The Pharisees were the good people. They presented themselves as good as they possibly could. Jesus never hung out with good people. Jesus hung out with real people. You know that little thing on the bottom of your page, GP2RL? We bring God's presence to real life. This is the essence of who God's called us to be as a church family. We want to be real. Jesus never hung out with good people. Jesus hung out with real people. What happens in the church, people show up, they get broken, they become real, and then we start trying to make them good, and it messes everybody in the place up. You digesting that? It's, it's kind of a crazy world we live in, in the church ministry world, and there's a lot of confusion. We call it religious confusion around here. There's a lot of confusion going on in the church when we're trying to make people act like something they're not. God doesn't want you to act like something you're not. He doesn't want you to try and present a certain persona so that he can be represented well by your presentation. That's not who he is. He's not about presentation at all. He wants to reach into your life. He wants to do something in your heart. When you don't feel like doing what you really should be doing, he wants to deal with why you don't feel that way more than what it is you're doing. How many know your why is deeper than your what? And God wants to get all up in your business with your why. 
And so when I start talking about let's, let's live generous lives, let's, you know, let's bring our tithe and offering before the Lord as an expression of worship, it's always been a part of worship. From the very beginning of time, this has always been a part of God's plan for worship of humanity, that we bring our tithes and offerings, that we would see the kingdom of God expand in the earth to a ministry expression that will outlive every single one of us and get to generation after generation after generation, and people will stand in our sacrifice because we were willing to worship our God. The question is not what are you giving, the question is why? Why are you giving or why are you not? God wants to go deeper with us in this very important issue in our lives. And this is the thing, I, I think, I find it really interesting, but the cross is curiously absent in much of our modern day theology. It's not that it doesn't exist, it's just that it's curiously absent in conversation when we're talking theologically about what we believe, about who Jesus is and the church and all that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the church world tends to be really enamored with the idea of helping you live the very best life you can. I want to live my best life. I want everything just to be, you know, everything I want it to be. I want my wife to be what I want her to be. Tracy and I had horrible marriage problems in the first five years of our, our marriage life, and we went to, to different counselors trying to save our marriage, and I finally woke up to the realization we were having problems, and it wasn't really because of the stuff. I was thinking about her, it was because I wasn't thinking about us correctly. And I was trying to go from counselor to counselor to find a counselor that would help me straighten her out and make her who I needed her to be for me. Some of y'all are doing that. You better wake up. She didn't need me to try to make her the person I needed. She needed me to be the person God wanted me to be so I could meet her need. Come on. I say it often, and I declare it regularly, routinely. There is nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship, and there is nothing more beautiful than two servants in love. And when I stopped trying to make her become something that she wasn't, then it unlocked more of who I was to become. And suddenly, our love and our relationship began to grow, and we haven't been to a marriage counselor since last week. That's just a joke. It's been two weeks. <laughs> God has wonderful plans for our lives, but that truth comes with the trick. Are you hearing it in all that we're talking about? That truth comes with the trick. The trick is he wants you to provide an awesome life for people that you love, not pursue an awesome life for yourself. This makes friendship work. This makes marriage work. This makes church work. This makes work work. This makes neighborhood work. This makes humanity work. But the cross is curiously absent for much of our modern day theology, and we really need to correct this. So just track me, if you would, that first blank on your, on your page if you write it in. There would be no resurrection had there been no crucifixion. It was actually the death of Christ that released the life of Christ so that you and I could be alive today. And what we want to do is celebrate the power of the resurrection. I need the resurrection power of God. I need the resurrection. But yes, you do need the resurrection power of God. But I have learned that you can have no resurrection if there is no crucifixion. Are you willing to die in order to live? Because Jesus said pretty clearly that you will not live unless you first die. But if you're willing to die, then you'll truly live. John chapter 12, verse 24 says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Everybody say, dies. 
Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces. If it dies, it produces. If it dies, it produces. It's not a question of does the seed have life. There's a question of will the seed die? Because if the seed dies, the side will produce. The seed will produce. It's not a question of if you have the life of Christ in you. You have the life of Christ in you. The question is not, are you going to live and try and express the life of Christ? The question is, are you going to die so the life of Christ can emerge out of your surrendered, broken life? I'm talking to broken people in the hands of a loving God. Somebody shout it today. Engage your voice with your gift and declare it. We receive what God wants to do in this place. God never works with what we don't have. God always works with what we do have. And the person who's not dead constantly says, well, when I have something more, then I'll give it to God. But he's wanting you to die right now where you are. You're not going to do better with more if you're not doing well with now. He was faithful with a little, then he'll be given much. Pick up the pace with where you are. I mean, this is just the truth. We're in a a day where where so many of us as pastors, we lack the courage to stand up and say, it is God's plan for you to learn the generous nature of God, and your tithe and your offering is a part of your worship. And I just want you to know, I refuse to submit to that fear and apprehension. I refuse to submit to that in our culture. I want you to understand God's plan to prosper your life. And that truth comes with the trick. It's not pursuing it for yourself, it's providing it for others. How many of you, it was beautiful to see all those kids, those students crying out to God. Was that amazing? That didn't happen because we hope it happens. That happened because we built a building. It happened because we initiated a plan that we're going to expand what God wants to do in this house. The bigger the house, the more effective the ministry. The more people we can pull into this, the more events we can host. You got to put all those dots together and understand this is part of what God's trying to bring about in our lives. And so recognize this. This is such an important point. I feel I feel rushed because you guys have been too noisy, and I've not been able to get as much done as I needed to. And I'm looking at my notes, thinking I've got so far to go. So instead of rushing through, I'm just going to pause for a moment, gather my thoughts, and try and connect with the mind of Christ. I want what he wants to say to be spoken. So write this in. When God is entrusting influence to your care, he's doing so to promote his kingdom, not ours. What influence has been entrusted to your care? He's doing whatever he's entrusted to your care to promote his kingdom, not ours. So there's this book and they reference George Washington. And uh, it's really interesting. The book is called Founding Brothers by Joseph Ellis. And here we have George Washington, you know, in a, he's come through the whole Revolutionary War and, and, and everything's happening. The United States is, is underway and, and if people have broken free uh, from the king. And we're start, you know, it's this amazing Revolutionary War. And I, I want to read to you this, uh, this incredible excerpt out of the book Founding Brothers by Joseph Ellis. And I want you to think about it. Remember the phrase, when God's entrusting influence to our care, he's doing so to promote his kingdom, not ours. There's an important principle I want you to understand. This is what Joseph Ellis writes. This amazing military leader, George Washington, 
who now has the undivided attention of all the colonies of this new United States of America, is famous and powerful. At the end of the Revolutionary War, he is so famous they made him president, and many spoke of making him their king. They were wanting to go back in the governmental structure. When King George III learned that George Washington actually intended to reject the mantle of emperor, he observed, if he refuses to become the king of America, he will be the greatest man in the world. If he chooses not to exercise his power for his own benefit, he will be the greatest man in the world. True to his word, December 22nd, 1783, George Washington surrendered his commission to Congress, and in doing so, he became an amazing example of a leader who could be trusted with power because he was willing to give it up. Man, that challenged me. So here we are breaking free, and then suddenly, I become the man. How would I have handled that? Would I carry that level of humility? Let's take it to another dimension who truly is the man John chapter 13 verses 3 this is so important you need to understand it just before the Passover feast this is what's taking place Jesus knew the father had put all things under his power that is hugely important in this moment in time Jesus had to come into a knowledge that he was the son of God he wasn't born with this understanding he was suddenly I'm the Messiah he had to walk in an awareness of that and this is a this is a pivotal moment for Jesus according to scripture Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power he knew he was the most powerful person in the room he now was becoming aware he was the most powerful person on the planet and he had come from God and was returning to God so he got up from the meal and what did he do When he figured out he's the most powerful person in the room, he took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus modeled what you and I are supposed to do at any given moment in our lives when we recognize we're the most powerful person in the room. We're to take all of the influence that is entrusted to our care and we're to further the lives of others and dignify the individuals in our circle. Not take that power and say, look at me, look, I'm the man. Now, come on, you, you know, you really, good leaders, they, they make you believe in them so that you'll follow them. Great leaders make you believe in you. That's what Jesus did. You find yourself in a boardroom, find yourself in a neighborhood association, you find yourself a play rehearsal, teaching in a classroom, find yourself growing up in the wealthiest nation of the world. You suddenly realize God has entrusted a certain measure of influence to you that's beyond others around you. What should you do? Use that influence to serve and benefit others. Broken people in the hands of a loving God sacrificially embrace a purpose bigger than their own. Broken people in the hands of a loving God sacrificially embrace a purpose bigger than their own. So God, he established this plan to routinely bring us face to face with how important it is that we not take all that's been entrusted to our care and be the owner of it all. You hear that word steward, manager? That's, that's what that means. God owns everything. I want you to think about it. And God loans everything. 
You had nothing when you came in. You'll have nothing when you go out. God owns it and God loans it. He's going to give you about a century to play with your tinker toys. Are you going to invite others in to the playground? Are you going to set up your own little kingdom and say, you know what? I've stepped into a place of affluence. Now I think I will be the man. I think I'll go ahead and just become the king. Or will you defer that and say, there's something bigger going on than what's just about me? And, and you understand, I'm digging deep to the why. That's, that's what I'm talking to you about. I'm trying to dig deep to the why. So when I read this verse of Scripture, instead of hearing, you know, the, whatever you're framing me up as this morning, would you just try and discover what God is trying to say to you? Because he's not just dealing with the what, he's trying to address the why. And this plan God set into motion. And it's such a healthy plan. Every time Tracy and I experience any kind of increase in our lives, in our family, anytime we receive a paycheck, anytime a sudden unexpected blessing comes, whatever it is, we come face to face with the reality. Am I going to be the king and own all of this? Or am I going to be the manager and understand that it's actually loaned from God? And I'm going to honor him first with what he says, Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. It's this perpetual plan God sets into motion to bring us face to face with the why behind the what as God takes us deeper in him. So this week, your action point. We want you to bring God's presence to real life. Your action point this week is to consider how you can make your giving in the coming year more about worship that includes your family. In a couple of weeks, we'll do our little pledge cards. You got those in the mail, hopefully. And, um, you know, those aren't just about giving finance, but it's asking where are you going to serve as part of the church family. It's time and tithe. We're going to do everything we can to help people understand, man, we are going to see God's kingdom expand in the earth. There are things God has in store for 2020 that's going to rock our world. I'm starting to sense some of that from the Lord, and, and it's already, I'm feeling very stretched by it all. But you know what? It's not too big for God. Would you stand with me? It is not too big for God. God wants to take us into greater places of seeing his kingdom advance, the influence of the kingdom in Jesus' name. So are you a broken person in the hands of a loving Savior? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you truly submitted your life to Christ? At first by embracing the cross of Christ and thanking him for his sacrifice, he's the Messiah who came that we might have life. And when you pray that prayer and you receive him as your Savior, then that initiates the process of the rest of your life, learning to make him Lord. And he wants to be Lord of everything in your life. But it is a process to get there. So it's his sacrifice that initiates salvation. And then think about it. It's our sacrifice that initiates lordship. It's our willingness to be broken people in the hands of a loving father. So Lord, we just invite the conversation you want to have with us. <clears throat> a good father constantly working to awaken things within your sons and daughters, and that's who we are. I thank you, Lord, just for an incredible celebration of a weekend of ministry expression. 
And somehow, Lord, you're seeing ministry expressions from a century down the road that results from our surrendered available, surrendered available lives that perpetuate something of your expression that will live well beyond any of us in the room. We want to be broken people in the hands of a loving God that would perpetuate other people coming after us, standing in our sacrifice, learning what that means in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I just invite you in a posture of surrender if you decide, you know, I just want to be fully surrendered to Christ. For some of you, that's like maybe today I need to make him Lord of my life. Today I need to become a Christian. Maybe for others it's just I just want to reiterate my complete and total surrender to him. Just lift your hands in that expression. Wherever you are in that journey, we're all in a different part of our journey. We're all on a journey just trying to find our way. But Lord, just as a family, we acknowledge that we submit to you. We submit to you. You are who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world. You came to rescue humanity from the fallen nature that exists because of the sin of Adam and Eve. You lived a sinless life and died a senseless death in so many respects. But you did it on our behalf. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Lord, we just welcome you to take us deeper in our journey of knowing you together as a family. In Jesus' mighty name.